0: Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Marriage started when God decreed a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It was God's original intent. It was Satan's original attack. And ever since, marriage has been against all odds. Join us for this inspiring series on beating the odds and getting the marriage God wants for us.
1: Everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Good to see you guys. We are in part two of a three-part series we are doing called "Against All Odds" marriage series. Come on, married people, give me some noise for that one. Yeah. All right, if you guys would uh, do me a favor, because I do this every week and I am quite comfortable being up here. If you don't like what I say, I just talk louder. I don't really care, but just kidding. But uh, my wife, on the other hand, not used to being up here. She's a little
2: nervous. I'm scared to death.
1: So would y'all welcome her to the stage? Yeah, look at that. See how much they love you? Because they don't do that for me. Just so you know. They don't do that for me. Oh, well. So, hey, look, before we get started today, I I want to just point out one more thing about marriage. I want you to understand we're doing a three-week series, and that means we're not going to cover everything. There are some topics that are really pretty simple. If we talk on them, I'm going to use the same passages. I'm going to make the same points. Uh, and if you've heard me teach on that topic before, then it's probably going to be the same. Marriage is not like that. There is so much to say about marriage. What you're facing today might not be anything that we're covering in these three weeks because I could do an entire year-long series on marriage and probably still not cover all of the principles we need in our marriages from the Scripture. So uh, I I want to just point out to you that um, we have other resources for you. If you go to the website where we've got the, the sermons that you can hear from the past, we actually have a cool little tool. The to search—you can just type in the word "marriage," and you will pull up every message that we've ever done that we've got on our 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 or archive. I can talk. I do this for a living. Our archive, you can pull up all of those messages and go back and and find other topics that might be more of what you are hitting home right now, as well as the fact that there are lots of other churches and preachers and books and so forth. You may need lots of other resources. We have small groups for marriage and so forth. All right, so with that being said, I don't know that we're going to cover your particular or every issue in these three weeks. What we are doing for these three weeks is taking three biblical principles for marriage, So it should be useful to all of us at some point, right? And trying to help us see how that applies in our lives. And so as we go into that, I think it's important for us to understand this. Anytime God is moving, and I do believe that's what's going on, right? Because we've got a bunch of married people who have been asking for a lot of prayer with their marriages. So I said, let's do a marriage series. Let's do some things to help you get what God wants for your marriage. So anytime God is moving, guess who else is moving? The enemy. And so he is trying to make sure that you do not get out of this what he what God wants you to get out of this. And so, for instance, as I sit here over these three weeks and share with you some biblical principles to apply to your marriage, you might be hearing the wrong thing. You might be hearing a message saying, oh, look, you failed at this. Oh, look, your past doesn't line up with this. And you may feel uh, problems for where you're currently struggling or for things that have totally fallen apart in your past. I want you to understand that is not what God is doing. Do not listen to that voice. The Bible is a story of redemption. Jesus said that he is here to be our savior, not just to pick up the perfect people on the bus. So for those of you who have had marriage failures in the past or have marriage struggles currently, This is for you still do not allow the enemy to bring that stuff up. Okay, so that's all my disclaimers. We're going to um, jump in here now. I do just want to say, I'm sorry, do one last thing is that uh, this is, of course, being taught as though we've got married couples at the same table trying to accomplish the same thing in their lives. And that's great when that's the case. Unfortunately, it's not always the case. We have some folks who are here alone because their spouse won't come to church with them or um, their spouse has already kind of stepped away and they're caught in a struggling position. I know how painful that is. And and sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, why did I show up for a marriage sermon? I hate this. Uh, But here's what I want to encourage you to do is I want you to learn everything you can. I want you to do everything you can and leave the rest to God. There are people who are sitting here today with their spouse who would never have been here um, if they had not just taken responsibility for themselves and allowed God to move in their spouse later on at some point in time. So, uh, if that's the case for you, wherever you are, uh, that's all I got to say. Let's jump in here. Okay. Um, many, um, people in marriages, I think one of the struggles we face, we don't ask for help. And when you do ask for help, you go and ask someone who is not equipped to actually help you. You know what I'm talking about? You go and ask your, your friend over coffee and they give you really bad advice or they have no advice. Or here's the one thing I really don't understand is, is a person whose marriage is struggling will go and sit down with a single person and ask for advice. (laughs) Like, uh, they don't know anything. They may think they know something and they may be a really smart single person, but they don't know anything about marriage, right? Married people. Come on. Y'all with me on this one? You you have to, it's one of those things. You just got to have the war wounds. You gotta, you gotta, gotta have the scars there to try and help some folks. So. What we're trying to do today, last week I kicked off the series by um, just establishing what I think is one of the most important foundations for marriage that you could ever have. If you weren't here, you want to go back and get that. And then what we're doing this week and next is we're having a couple present to you the one biblical principle that gets the most credit for the fact that they're still married. That if they were to say out of all of the ideas in the Bible, everything that God would challenge us to do, there is one reason above all that we are still here today. So my wife and I um, are about to celebrate our 19th anniversary. Woo! Isn't that exciting? And so we have a reason we're still here today. Um, and the couple that's going to share next week, I believe, is, is headed to their 53rd anniversary. I think if I got that correct, they'll correct, this, correct me next week. And they've got a different biblical principle and reason for the fact that they made it 53 years. So um, I, I, that's, that's what we're doing. And I want you to know that we are taking a risk for your sake. Because when you, you talk to people um, uh, you know and, and you can 't find help, we want to be the people who can help you by first of all maybe shattering some bad misconceptions you have, uh, and, and so we 're going to be very transparent about as much of the story that we have time to share in our very short time frame this morning. We're going to try to give you 19 years of highlights in 30 minutes. And so obviously you're going to miss out on a whole lot of the fun and the misery. Um, uh, it, it, but, but we're going to try to be transparent. And some of you may not come back. I don't know. You may be disappointed with what you learn about your pastor and, and his wife there. But um, we want you to know, you know, most people, we're great people, aren't we?
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. But most people have this idea that a pastor doesn't understand you. Most people think pastors grew up in a little bubble somewhere in the Bible belt. And then when they turned 18, their family just like spawned them off to a Bible college. And there in Bible college, they met this angel who had come down from heaven and had never encountered any of life's struggles. And somehow in Bible college, these two magical people met and married and have never had a struggle whatsoever. They don't know what you're going through. You shouldn't go to them for help. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. That's not our story. Our story goes a little bit more like this. I grew up in uh, a family here in the South. I went off to college, got a music degree. Uh, Music world is an interesting place. However, God did wreck my world and got my attention. And I said, okay, I'm going to leave my musical career aspirations. And I'm going to go serve him on a ministry team in Romania. This is where I met my wife. And she was uh, one of our worship leaders. And did y'all know that about her? She one of our worship leaders, She's one of our translators, and, and so she was there and, and uh, we came together at this point and, and ended up getting married because, you know, it's, it's, it's expensive to keep hiring your translator, you should just marry them, it's, <laughs> save money. I'm lying, because that's not how you save money. It was a lot cheaper, just pay you every month, translate, <laughs> it'd be more fun. So, the point though is, we started out from the very beginning with everything going wrong for us. Because we didn't grow up in this little Bible college world, and we we thought that that everything would just be perfect. Actually, we went into marriage with this one simple thought. We both love Jesus. What could go wrong? Exactly. Oh, boy. Let me tell you how quickly it went wrong. She was in tears before the wedding reception was over. Matter of fact, I didn't tell the last service. She actually threw up as soon as the ceremony was over. Like, you know, when you... Arm in arm, walk out the church. You know, everybody else had to watch out where they walked when they left the church. I was thinking, boy, is not a good sign to the start of marriage here. Her first reaction upon looking at me and going, you're my husband is, "Ooh, okay, all right. <laughs> she says it's the heat. But anyway.
2: I had a migraine.
1: Oh, now the story is a migraine.
2: Well, okay, so there's a tradition in Romania that. Um,
1: that they didn't tell the American about.
2: They didn't tell the American about that um, you, got, you get stolen. Um, the by, bride, that is. The bro- bride gets stolen and they hide you. So he was supposed to find me and uh, pay to get me back. Well, nobody told him that. <laughs> so after 45 minutes of sitting there in the heat waiting for him to find me, I was like, okay, this guy doesn't care about me. This is just wrong. <laughs> Whereas
1: I'm upstairs trying to entertain all of her family and guests in my broken Romanian since my translator has gone AWOL on me and can't understand what has happened until the one who thought he was supposed to get his fee for rescue came up and said, well, where's your, where's your wife? And I said, I don't know. I haven't seen her in like 45 minutes. I think, can you go check the bathroom? She might be sick or something. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to, she had already thrown up once, right? You know, I mean, it was a possibility. And uh, of course, then they explained to me that in Romania, you steal still the bride and someone is supposed to go and try and rescue her. So, so I go off to rescue her and find her with mascara down to here and, you know, wedding dress, kind of hot, stuck outside under a stairwell. You know how that goes. So, so from the very beginning, before the honeymoon has even begun, before the wedding is even over, she already thinks I don't care about her, and I don't know how the traditions went. And uh, the, the, the things just got so miserable after that. We did go off on our honeymoon. I, I'm not allowed to tell you the story, just so you know. No. Um, yeah, no, she's not allowed me to tell you the story, but I'll just tell you this much. If you've ever seen a movie, there was a movie, I forget what it's called, but it was about a honeymoon in Europe. It was with Ashton Kutcher and Brittany Murphy. We watched this movie saying, this is like a joke. For us, they could have done our life story, the real story, because we did a European honeymoon. Ours would have been way funnier and way sadder at the same time, and it would have been true. It wouldn't have been made up. I mean, we're watching this just going, oh man, that happened to us, but it was like this and this and this. So you can just take that movie, put it on, like multiply times 10, and that would be more like what our honeymoon was like. It was actually so bad, and we fought so much that we might be the only people I know who actually quit the honeymoon. Quit, said, I'm packing the bag, pack your bag. We're done with this. You know, the problem when you quit your honeymoon, though, is that you just got to go back to normal life together. (laughs) It it wasn't like a trip with a friend. You could just I'll never see you again. So so we ended up going back to Romania now and uh, we're supposed to be moving to America in the next couple of weeks. And we were supposed to spend more time on our honeymoon. So we're looking around saying, well, what should we do? So her sister and brother-in-law, who we were friends with in ministry, thought they had a great idea. Here's what we will do uh, to help Jimmy and Ramona, who are kind of struggling with this new marriage thing, is we'll just take a little cross-country trip in a car with no air conditioning and just throw up tents on the side of the road whenever we feel like staying somewhere. If we couldn't get along with air conditioning, holiday inn, and, and five-star breakfast, how do you think we're going to do in the back seat of a, a Dacia made in 1942? That is a true story, by the way. With no air conditioning and, and just cooking salami that you find at the local. I mean, are y'all just going with me on this? It got so bad, we got to the point, so we'd been married maybe three weeks And uh, we're sitting in a tent by the Black Sea. The wind is so miserable, we can't even leave a tent. You really want to talk about people? People who can't get along, couldn't enjoy their honeymoon, are now trapped in a tent. A two-person tent with the wind shaking the entire tent in a a country that just won't give you anything you want. I mean, talk about miserable. Does God have a sense of humor or what, you know? Here's the point. We looked at each other at this point, and, and I remember just saying to Ramona, okay, I'm going to America. I'm done. Are you coming? It was that bad before the honeymoon was over.
2: And I was debating. It took my while.
1: She came. She was not happy about it. She's the, probably the only person I've ever seen cry all the way from Europe to Atlanta, <laughs> Georgia, where you land on an airplane. Anyway, so we started with some what I call ingredients for Disaster. Some of you begin with ingredients for success in your marriages. I certainly hope you do. We only had one, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Most of what we had was a list of ingredients for disaster. And I want to share some of those with you so that you can maybe understand that the things you think you're facing and why you think you have a reason to walk away and why you think people like us can't help you. I want to try to level that playing field a little bit. Here's the first thing we had going for us, uh, going against us. We were incredibly broken and immature people simply messed up people i hate to say it our world doesn't really equip us for emotional maturity, they don't prepare us really for dealing with other human beings and being in close quarters and marriage and none of that. There's nothing in the high school curriculum to get you ready for that sort of thing. Our family structures and, and our really our whole culture, that's a whole other sermon. But it is set up to gratify the individual. And when you try to tell the individual to share life with someone else, it, we're really set up for a disaster. And so we were incredibly broken. We both came from difficult situations. Hers way more than mine, just to be honest. I'm Just, you know, in case my mom's listening to the internet. My, mine was not nearly as, as bad of an upbringing, but it still was not a perfect home. And then I was still a pretty messed up person individually. She grew up with um, a, a pretty typical Romanian home, which looks like, you want to tell them what that looks like? No. Okay. Um, some uh, absentee parents and, and lots of struggles and so yeah. forth. Uh, so as a result, we were, uh, didn't understand each other. Everything we did would hurt each other. We would allow the smallest of little offenses to become really huge things. And before we knew it, we had caused deep wounds and built up really large walls. Before the honeymoon was even over, we were already at a point of thinking, I don't understand this person. I can't talk to this person. I've made the biggest mistake of my life. We'll never be able to get through this mistake. The second thing that we had going against us is that we had completely wrong expectations going into marriage. I know none of you have ever done that. You have this idea of what marriage will be like. You get into marriage and you find out it's going to be something completely different. You had...
2: Well, I was uh, a worship leader at the time. And I had a heart for God. And I love God with all my heart. So I had an idea of what worship would look like. And I wanted to create something in worship. A new aspect of worship. So I wanted to be like a new Kim Walker of Romania kind of thing. So uh, when Jimmy came along, I was actually in a, on a, a team um, that was planting churches over Roman- in Romania. So I was traveling with them. So I had the exact plan for my life, and I knew exactly what I wanted out of my life. And he showed up, and I was um, excited about meeting him. And then I found out that he had a um, music degree, and I thought, Oh, my gosh, he will be such a psychic to me. And um, I'm going to marry this guy, and he's going to carry my luggages, and he's going to help me achieve my goal, and it's going to be great, just great, great, great. And I married him, and, and then he's like, Well, our finances have changed, and we have to move back to America. I was like, No, 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 no. I'm not moving back to America. This was not the plan. Uh, We're staying in Romania. It's like, no, we don't have money to stay in Romania. We need to move back to America. So that's where the struggle came because my plan for my life just completely collapsed around me. And I came to America and here I am in this apartment and he's working all day long. And I just realized that I just started from ground zero like I lost who I was like what just happened I I I just lost who I was I just like can you explain <laughs> but, like I've just she like, lost everything she went from a everything. culture
1: where where people uh just like you see in the pictures or the movies uh she grew up in a in a city where you'd go out on your balcony and drink coffee and yell at the people in the balconies all around you. I mean, it's Eastern Europe, it's close quarters, and uh, so obviously had ridden trains everywhere, had never had to drive. She moves to the U.S. I've got a job that's about 70 hours a week, I'm never at home, and then she is sitting in an apartment with no television, no car, nowhere to go, and nothing. So you, you go from life dreams to suddenly staring at four white walls uh, with no way to do anything about it. You know, no way to even contact your family because of how much it costs to call your family. You can't talk to there's them no, all day long. There's
2: no internet. There was
1: no Skype and internet back then. We're that old. You know, so um, I, I thought at the time as well, I went into marriage with expectations and, and that is uh, that I was Southern. And so I grew up in a Southern family and, and thought that I would just marry a woman who knew how to be a perfect Southern woman, um, which means you grow up and act like the man's mother, right? So you, you cook sweet tea. Yes. And you make no. the bed, and you know you cook my favorite foods, uh, which would include fried fish and all kinds of oh, things oh, like wait that. Wait and a second.
2: I cooked all Romanian, and poor guy was like, what happened here? Um,
1: and I was
2: like, I can't cook like that. So that was another different story altogether.
1: Another, another story. And so I, I thought... It, it, hopefully I was right about this, that I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing today. I knew I was called to do this from the time even I was a teenager. And um, the the problem is, is that I I was not succeeding at that because I had a disastrous marriage. So she wanted to be a worship leader, and I was preventing her from doing that. I wanted to be a preacher, but she was preventing me from doing that because our marriage was all her fault, of course. Y'all know how that goes. And so we both thought at this point, we're married to the person who is preventing us from walking in our destiny. That's how you get to a point where you really hate each other. Um, Another thing we had going against us is that we were just incredibly different people. We had very different worldviews. We had very different life goals. And um, you want to talk about culture clash. Now, people will come to me sometimes. They'll say, we just have nothing in common. And I just laugh. Like she's from Eastern Europe. She was raised in a communist nation, the world's worst dictator since Hitler. She doesn't understand the concept of dreaming, and I'm a dreamer. I mean, if you could have put two opposite people together, you ask her, can you do something? No, it's never been done. That's me. Can you do something? Sure, it's never been done. Let's try it. I mean, we're just, just completely opposite ways of approaching life. And people will come in and sit down in my office and say, well, we're, we're thinking about divorce because I'm a Republican and he's a Democrat. Are you kidding me? You know, I mean, it's just one of the things that we use as one of our excuses. The, the fourth thing that we had going against this is the idea that we were completely unprepared and completely unsupported. I grew up in in a church when I was in college that really did do a lot of good stuff for me, had a great campus pastor, had a lot of families in the church that would grab young college students and help raise them up and wonderful atmosphere. Unfortunately, I had left that when I went to Romania. All of my support structure was behind. There was no one who could come up to me and say, hey, Jimmy, we need to talk. I see your wife. I I see how things are going. I know you're not asking a question, but I've got an answer. I need you to listen to it. I had left those people behind when I went to Romania. Well, now we're moving back to the U.S. to a city neither of us has ever lived in. And so she is now leaving her support structure. So we find ourselves in this city where no one is willing to talk to us. No one is willing to stick their nose where it doesn't belong. No one is our coach. No one is our mentor. We're completely unsupported, which leads us to the last one that we had going against us. And that is that we didn't ask for help. And I know that that's one of the biggest things I face in marriage counseling. When people do come in and ask for help. The problem is they, they come to me after the appointment with the divorce attorney. You come too late. You don't ask for help when you can get it. And we weren't either. So again, that's, that's why we are being transparent today, willing to risk our story to try and encourage some of you that people can help. People are here to help you. We didn't ask for help because we didn't think it was fixable. We just looked at each other and said, this is just not fixable. You are just too screwed up. You're just the wrong person for me. Um, we also didn't ask for help because we thought we were the only ones. You know how you go to church and everybody's smiling? Yeah. And then we thought we had to keep up the image. You have to keep up the image. Who in here wants to stand up right now and say, my marriage is falling apart and it's probably my fault? Yet nobody wants the mic, do they? Nobody wants to do that. We keep up the idea. We're great. You know, you're screaming and yelling at each other. Ah, somebody rings the doorbell. Hey, how you doing? You know, you got you to keep things going. You invite friends over for dinner. You've been fighting all day long, but the friends are there and you're playing really nice. You know, talking to each other like you love each other. As soon as the friends leave, you go right back at it keeping up an image. So here's the point. We are still together today. Um, We are not just together. I would say that we're doing incredibly well. Uh, We love being married to each other. We're no longer hoping the other one dies in their sleep or something like that. Um, God has done a truly amazing thing in our hearts and in our lives. And so uh, here we go. We want to help you see for us scripturally the one biblical reason more than anything else that we are still together If you've got your Bibles and you're taking notes, you can turn with me to Matthew 19. If you're not taking notes, you probably should if you're married. All right. Matthew 19, Jesus is being challenged. Someone comes to him and says, uh, ask questions about divorce. So the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, I used to read this thinking it said he answered only if she's from Eastern Europe. Unfortunately, it doesn't really say that. His answer was, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, just real quick caveat. This is why last week when I gave the message and told you we are still dealing with something Adam and Eve dealt with. And it's very important that we see Adam and Eve as history. They did not come from monkeys. They were the original created beings by God. We have a creator God who created people. Humanity began with Adam and Eve. The reason that is so important, and I know I'm off subject and not trying to beat up any science lovers or whatever in the room, but Jesus quoted it. Jesus referred to it as history. If that's not history, then Jesus is a liar. There's no way he can save you from your sins. You're on your own. If you did not get created by a creator, God. Okay. So just with that being said, we move on. And he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Again, he's still quoting Genesis as though it's a legitimate book and the two shall become one. For us, that's the issue. The two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so for us, the biblical principle is a two-sided coin, really. What we see on one side of it that comes out of this passage is the idea that God is putting two people together to become one thing. He is putting you through a process. I've done an entire message on that. You can go back and hear some other time. I won't do that again today. But when you flip that coin over, if God is taking two people and turning them into one, the other side of that coin says that God is in the middle of a process. And if you stand against that process, you stand against God. And so for us, we were committed to God. And that's why we're still here. We were not committed to each other. We truly did hate each other many, many times. That was a good word? Absolutely. Yeah, did you ever tell me you hated me?
2: Uh, not really, but thank it a lot.
1: Yeah. And I could never pick up on it in the actions and the body language or anything like that. Actually, um,
2: it was so bad. Actually, he told me one time, like, I was afraid to eat the food.
1: Yeah, we really were at a point. There were at least a couple times in the marriage. I mean, she is Romanian. They are known for uh, some of their spell casting and other curses and things. I wasn't I mean, going
2: to poison you. I mean, like, going to jail and stuff. No, no.
1: Good to know now. The point is, we were more committed to God than we were to each other. And more importantly, we were committed to God more than to ourselves. I meet a lot of people who say, well, you know, we just made a promise to each other. We're going to duke this thing out. And I go, well, that's a good ingredient. I believe that's going to help. And then I meet people who say, well, you know what? This didn't turn out like I wanted. Um, It's hurting my feelings. It's not going this way, whatever. They're more committed to themselves and they just walk away. Um, for us, we were simply more committed to God. You see, I gave you a list of all the things that were going against us. There had to be at least one thing going for us, or we wouldn't be sitting here today. The one thing that we had going for us is that we met in ministry. And what that means is not that we were perfect. Oh my gosh, boy, were we a fake bunch of, oh wow, scary. But what that really means is that, that we had already abandoned our desire for living for ourselves. I had given up a musical career idea to go and serve God. She had given up whatever other ideas. She worked full-time on a ministry team. We had both abandoned our ideas of living for me in order to live for God. It was in our DNA to make a personal sacrifice. That is the only thing that we had going for us. And so um, at that point, that was our success story. Uh, so each of us had, had seen some things uh, that, would allow, that, that caused us actually to stick to that.
2: Uh, for me was, um, I have seen God move in so many powerful ways and through me, just work through me. And, um, I mean, just talking through people and all, all of a sudden eyes of the people just open up like, Oh really? I mean, just, so I always thought that if I would leave him somehow that would nullify, nullify my witness, um, Um, to the two people. So I felt like I cannot leave really because, um, does that make sense?
1: Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing many of, of us do in this room. Some of you don't leave because, um, you don't want a custody battle. Some of you don't leave because you like the income of your spouse and you, you don't want to leave your lifestyle. Okay. Well, we were actually just used to seeing people's lives change. It was truly amazing. You could stand at opposite ends of the stage and hate each other's guts. But as you would watch God move in people's lives, you knew, I want to be a part of this. And yes. so everybody's got some selfish reasons for why they stayed together. Ours was ministry. Um, I knew that I was called to do this. I, I grew up where I had seen some some pretty miserable marriages, um, trying to pastor churches, and, and thought, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And some of them were succeeding at growing some pretty big churches. They just didn't talk about marriage much. They never were with their wife. They put all of their energy into growing their church. And I thought I could actually get away with being a pastor and and faking the marriage thing. I thought I could do th- this. Without doing this, which unfortunately, uh, some people get away with, but fortunately for me, God said, no, no, no. Um, uh, There is something cool about Grace Life and what God has done here that there's not a lot of falsehood. And so as a result, God took me out of ministry for that. I actually ended up teaching school just because I was not ready for the ministry that I'd been in. I was in ministry when I was single. I was a youth pastor. Then I was on a full-time ministry team. As soon as I got married and began treating her the way that I was treating her, God said, nope, you're not representing my name like that. You go over here and teach somebody to play the flute in middle school. It's what we call hell on earth. Middle school. (laughs) Middle school band. Matter of fact, I'm going to make it even worse. I'm going to have 44 little girls sign up to play flute at the same time. And I'm going to put them in a small room. It's going to be great. And you're going to wish you treated your wife better. And that was That was where I was. We, I, I, I really was at the point where I thought maybe just one day I'll come home and she's not there. You know, maybe something happened. You know, Maybe just whatever. We, we really thought that we would either fake it or the other one would die. Don't laugh at me. Some of you, some of you have probably tried to plan it. We didn't go that far because I didn't know anybody from the mob, but I might have if I did, but
2: man, you make it sound so bad.
1: Well, I wasn't afraid to eat the food. So back to the idea of the two becoming one, this is a, a really important concept because you see, here's what we don't understand. It's going to be a difficult and painful process. And I, every, when I do marriage counseling, I do weddings. I just, I just feel like I'm like at a Disney world. Like everybody's smiling and everybody's so happy. And I'm thinking, if you could just see behind the scenes of the ride. Oh, well, you will in about two weeks. <laughs> After we do this ceremony, you're going you're gonna, to welcome to reality. Everybody just thinks it's going to be, oh, honey, I brought you flowers again. Oh, well, thank you, honey. I made your favorite food. Oh, honey, we're so wonderful. And then you just discover that's not real married life. Come on, married people. Bag me up here. Y'all looking at me like I'm weird. I'm not weird. See, here's the problem. And I'm going to try to make this incredibly logical. Maybe it's something we haven't ever processed before because it's just simple math. When you're alone, when you're single, you commit your entire energy and all your dreams and all your hopes and everything you've got into becoming the best version of you that you can be. You want to have the greatest future and to prepare yourself to succeed at that future. You're working on you. But if God is taking two and making them one, as soon as you get married, if you continue in that same line of thinking, here's what you're now doing, you are making half the best that it can be. And you are doing everything you can to make half succeed and not caring about the other half. Now, just think about this. How many of you want to go have surgery where the doctor's only going to do half of it? Like cut you up, but not sew you back together. How many of you want a house that was built by a guy who only did half of it right? Didn't care if the other half didn't have the nails they were supposed to have. Or a car. Or The story just goes on. And so marriage, no doubt, would be the exact same problem. If you keep the same mentality of what you had when you were single, but now suddenly God is taking two, putting those two together as one, but you stay focused on the individual, the half, you're not even close to what God is trying to do. You're completely missing out on the process.
2: Um, yeah. Uh, God gave me a picture one time. of um, Because I was so strong headed. Um, I was just. <laughs> trying to become. Who I was still. Uh, on my own. With two feet. Um, so he gave me a picture. Of one point of me. So I yes, Ramona, you are just very strong in who you are. And you can do very well on your own. And he is very strong in who he is. And he can do very well on his own. But I want these two pieces to blend together, to be very powerful together. And go forth together.
1: And and most of us, I pray God would give many of you that same kind of... Vision for what you could become, because that's what we're missing out on is this idea of when God takes the two and you actually do become one. It's an incredibly painful process, and most people abandon the process simply because of how much it hurts each half to turn it into one. And so, what I, I want to do is share with you three things that we saw in our souls that would rise up every time God would try to take the two and turn them into one. The first one is this idea that, that they were, we were fighting the wrong enemy. These are definitely good things for you to write down, by the way, for those of you that are married. Um, There are three things you're going to notice you've been doing as well, because this is just way too common to humanity. I talked about this last week. I've said it many times before. Your spouse is not the enemy. And, And maybe one person says amen, but the rest of us go, yeah, right. Because you live with each other and you fight each other all the time and you're thinking, I know they're supposed to be an enemy, but let me just tell you practically, this spouse of mine is my enemy. They're the ones that that frown at me every time I walk in the door. They're the ones that are most frustrated with everything I do. They're the ones I can never please. They're the ones that are always reminding me what I need to apologize for. Whatever, you guys know the story. You live it, right? And, And we get to the point where we're saying, this is just, you are my enemy, but it's a conscious choice that we're making. And if you, you have to go back to last week's message where I tried to help us understand God has a much bigger purpose through marriage. So the enemy comes against that purpose and we're just caught in the middle. Our real enemy is the one who's trying to keep us from displaying the image of God through the unity of husband and wife, trying to keep us from that. And we don't care anymore. We actually do make our spouse our enemy. And they become such a strong enemy to us that we are willing to lose the real battle as long as they lose. And I'll give you an illustration. There's an actual basketball team that this happened with. They went on to become world champions in the NBA many times, but they were absolutely horrible as a team together because they had such strong personalities. And some of them were a weird folks. And anyway, I can't tell you the team or the name because I want to pick on anybody. But they got to where they hated each other so much and they hated the way they played together. That one person was, I'm open, give me the ball, but they wouldn't give them the ball. And so then when they got the ball, they wouldn't give it to the other person. And, and they were selfish and they just couldn't stand each other that they actually got to a point they were willing to lose. Other teams loved playing them because they knew that their real goal was just to keep the people on their team losing. to Miserable. I would rather lose this game than pass the ball to you. I would rather lose the entire season than to see you make a shot. We can choose to make our spouse the enemy. And that's exactly what this team did. Fortunately for them, some people got fired. Some new people came in. Somebody fixed it. And we need to do the same things in our marriage. We need to stop allowing that to operate. We need to hire some people to come in called coaches and pastors and mentors and and marriage counselors and whatever we need to do. We need to bring in someone to understand who the true enemy is. The second thing that we had rising up in our souls every time we'd notice God trying to take the two and make one is that we were believing the wrong voice. We would listen to the wrong voice. Again, last week's message is critical here. I don't have time to go back and hit it. But I said the entire Process of our marriages crumbling is built upon the beginning of deception. We start believing things that are contrary to God's word. We believe things like, I'd be better off without them. I can be better off without them. I should be better off without them. I can do this. I don't need them. They're a problem to me. Um, they're not even from God. They're, they're just, y'all look at me like, did he say that? Like y'all never thought that. You had a story for this.
2: Okay, so... There was a point in our marriage, I think Christian, just one? well, <laughs> it was just one point where I, I really, one point, um, I think Christian, Christian was, he's 16 now. He was about maybe two and a half, three. Um, so I have, I had a bunch of friends at the time and they were like all divorced, all, um, all my best friends all for different reasons. And um, it came a point when I said, okay, I think I'm going to leave this guy. So I went out... So we're all
1: advising you to do that?
2: Yes, yes. When it comes to the different voice, like, yeah, girl, just go ahead, leave him. (laughs) Um, You know, he's no good. Um, So those are... Voices from the friends can be... From France can be pretty bad. Um, so anyway, I went out with my best friend, and uh, she is, um, I don't know, it just God started speaking through her to me. Um, it was like friend, best friend speaking, I mean, like constantly, one-on-one. And I said, look, I think I'm going to pack my bags and leave. I'm taking my child with me and find an apartment and leave. And she looked at me and she said, okay, so you want to be, because she just left her husband, so she was like two months into the divorce and battle and all that. And she said, so you want to be where I'm standing right here. I never thought of that way. So, um, she said, let me paint this picture for you because you think this is like rosy. Um... So, this is what's going to happen. You are going to be, from now on, broke, pretty much. Um, I know you, so you're not going to be doing the dating scene. That's not going to be for you. So, let's just scratch that. Um, So, what's going to happen from now on? Your child, which is two and a half, three, three, is going to start asking... Where's Daddy? When is Daddy coming home? Um, is Daddy gonna call? And can you handle that? And I just lost it. Um. And in that moment, I said, I just cannot do that. I just, it was like a turning point for me because I could I couldn't handle that. And she said, Well, I, I know that Jimmy is like a. Um, his heart of the father would not let you have that child. He's going to fight you for this child until he has no more money, until he's going to take him from you. And until you guys are going to be broke and destroyed over this child. You want to do that? Can you handle that? I just sat there and I thought, I can't, I can't. I can't do that. I can't. So I went home and and she said, Well, is he cheating on you? Well, no. Is he mean, nasty? Well, he is a pain. <laughs> but not more than any other guy. Well, then I suggest you get help and give it the best shot you got. Get help. Call somebody who is a professional. Call somebody. And I did.
1: The wrong voices can be very loud. We actually had one of our ministry team friends, someone we were in Romania with, church planting with, supposed to know the Bible, supposed to point you in the direction of God, actually offered to buy her a one-way ticket to Romania, drive her to the airport, and not tell me where she went. The wrong voices can come from everywhere. Um, I'll just tell you this. Any voice you're hearing that is not in line with the Word of God is the wrong voice, And that's where you need to get all of your direction from. Uh, The last thing that we were doing that was rising up in us, uh, that we were simply using the wrong tactics. Our tactics were incredibly simple. It's called blame and defend. Every time there was an issue, it was not my fault. It was not her fault. Well, from my point of view, it was was her fault and, and so forth. It was always to blame the other person and to defend ourselves. It was how we went about everything. Of course, the correct answer is to own and repent. Whatever is your fault, take responsibility for it. Even if it's only 10%, even if it's only 1%, take responsibility for your 1% and so that God can now work on the other person and their 99. Because even if it's only 1% your fault, you're standing against God and he can't deal with the other person because you won't let him deal with you. And, and, and I didn't know that. And so I kept thinking she's at least 51% wrong. It's her fault. She's got to deal with this first. And she thought that about me. And we would spend all of our time just blaming the other person and defending ourselves and blaming the other person and defending ourselves. And and I'm going to help you out right now. If you are identifying with this and you're saying, yeah, we do a little bit of that or we do a lot of that. I'm going to tell you why we did it. I'm going to tell you what your problem is. And it's incredibly simple. It's not rocket science. You are immature. Because we were immature. Immature people just need to win no matter what. I mean just go back to when you were 7 years old playing a game. You'd cheat if you had to. You'd take the ball and go home before the other guy could score another point. Whatever it was cuz you were immature. You see pride comes with immaturity, humility comes with maturity. When somebody's been around long enough to understand what life is really all about, they begin to become a humble person. It's a, it goes with maturity. You won't find humble immaturity. Those two don't go together. We were just immature. We were children. We were married with the emotional maturity of probably adolescence. We had no business being married at that stage in our life. Just because you turn 25 does not mean that you are 25 inside. It does not mean that you're prepared for life. It does not mean that you should have a debit card or a checking account, much less a child or a spouse. Okay, But unfortunately, our, our, our world just freedom. You're 21, you can have whatever you want. And we, we take it and often we destroy it. The point is we were immature and if you are playing the blame game and not taking responsibility for wherever you are, you also are immature and you just need to be told that flat out today because it's just not going to get anywhere else until you just get a little look in the mirror culture shock of, oh my gosh, I'm a child. I'm acting like a child. I'm throwing a fit and storming out of the room. I mean, I know when I watch my children do that, can you imagine what God think when he's watching us fight in our marriages? It's like, because I've got kids that they do the exact same thing. I'm like, man. Honey, we used to look like that like 10 years ago. That's pretty scary. So, look, just for the sake of time, I'm going to wrap this thing up because we are way over time here. Praise God, there's not another service right now trying to fill in the parking lot. Um, But here is what I want to recommend for you. If you want to say, okay, what do I do with this, Jimmy? Where do we go? I think you need to take the same step we took, and that is called commit. You just need to commit. I told you, we were committed to God above all else. There was no other option. You see, when you commit to God and say, we're going to do this thing because we made a promise to God and we are going to allow God to finish his process. We began a process that even if we were foolish and did not know how much it was going to hurt, we began a process committing to an end. We said for better or for worse, but now that we are in the process and it's not as much fun as we thought, we're going to abandon the process. Well, as long as you are uncommitted to finishing it, the enemy knows it. And he's going to come at you with everything he's got because he knows you are a vulnerable target. But if you will just stand up and say, you know what? It's not an option. We're going to die doing this thing. If we have to die together, we are going to heaven together. And if that happens like tonight when we kill each other, it doesn't work. We're going to heaven together. You know, we're going to stick in this. That was funny. Y'all didn't follow that? I mean, that's the attitude you have to have of one way or another. We're going to heaven together. We're doing this thing together for better or for worse. Committing means telling the devil you're not quitting. And it means saying, God, you're all I've got, so you better show up. And that is the only answer. So look, the answer is this. We are where we are today simply for that one reason. We were committed to God above all else. That's why we're here. We do have a happy marriage. We were about to celebrate our 19th anniversary, as we said. It has required lots. Oh my gosh, lots of individual death. The Jimmy she married does not exist. Isn't that true? Yes. Yeah, And the Ramona I married does not exist. I call her Moni just for the fun of it. New name, new person. I mean, I'm telling you, we are not the same people. People that knew us then would laugh if they thought we were leading a church now. Like, are you kidding me? They're both married to each other? <laughs> They're still alive.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: Just telling you. But we have a happy marriage. We have a good family. We have great kids. We're very fulfilled with life purpose, which, by the way, if God's called you to be married, you can't separate that from being fulfilled in life. Those of you that keep trying to find your fulfillment in your career and in your money and in everything else, and your hobbies, you'll never get it. God has built you that you will always be dissatisfied by thinking you can live with a miserable marriage. He wants you to fix this thing. He wants you to get in there. The two shall become one. That is what God is after. That's where your purpose comes. That's where your productivity comes from. We are productive in marriage. I'm sorry, in ministry because we have fought for our marriage. God has opened those doors. And here if you've tuned out, I want you to hear this as I close. We are not special. You need to know that. We are not special. You're probably facing the same junk in your life and you're thinking, "Well, you know, they were called to be a pastor. God showed up for No, we're not special. The fight that we were in, some of you are in the same fight. The God that showed up for us is the same God that will show up for you. The purpose that you have for your life is just as great. You may not be living it. You may not believe it because you're too busy saying, I don't care if we lose this game as long as you don't get to score. Too busy just making your spouse the enemy that you're missing out on the real victory. Our marriage, more than anything I've ever heard, I've heard a lot of stories, began against all odds. This whole series is named because I knew we were telling our story. Our story is against all odds. And we are here today because we stayed committed to God above ourselves and above our own feelings. I want to encourage you to give God an opportunity to work. We stuck it out for 19 years, and I promise you at least the first decade was miserable. You say, well, Jimmy, you did that for a year. No, no, no. We did that for at least a decade before we finally got real help that began to make real change. And then that process took a few years. We've been happy less than we've been miserable. God is doing an amazing thing. And he can do a a miracle in your marriage too. Last thing I'm going to say to you today is what I started with. I want to remind you not to be listening to the voice of the enemy. This is not about your past. This is not about your failures. This is about your current situation, what God can restore, what God can fix, and what's going to come in your future. Don't listen to any condemnation here today, but listen to the voice of God telling you that you can turn around whatever you're facing. Amen? Amen. Well, having a marriage that is built on God at the center, of course, starts with having a life that is built on God at the center. Ryan spoke about this earlier when he talked about communion, and uh, he was explaining how Jesus died for us so that we can live a life for his glory so that we because we could never get there on our own we could never be perfect enough to have fellowship with God so he died paying the penalty that we deserved if you've never had that conversation with God I want to help you have that here this morning it's a very simple thing to do if you would just would everybody pray with me right where you're seated say something like this to yourself and to God Lord Jesus I thank you that you have a greater meaning for my life. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy that caused you to take my place on the cross. I thank you for fighting for my life. And so today I surrender and I trade with you because you died for me. I want to live for you. And I have one simple prayer in this place today that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen, amen. Let's celebrate with those people. If you would stand with me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Me and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.